Today's podcast is brought to you by one of our awesome sponsors, New Belgium. One of their beers, Voodoo Ranger IPA, is a favorite here at the Creative Convergence. Voodoo Ranger IPA is perfectly balanced with notes of guava, mango, and pineapple with a delicately bitter finish. For beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram, where you will hear about what's new and where you can find Voodoo Ranger near you. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Welcome to the Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Growing up in a rural community, Steve Hollingsworth was fortunate enough to catch the creative bug at the age of 14. Beginning playing music, producing skateboarding videos, and comedy sketches with friends, Steve was recruited by the local municipality to join their broadcasting and communication department at age 15. Upon finishing high school, with a wealth of knowledge about video production and live broadcasting under his belt, Steve began freelancing as a network TV cameraman, producing music videos, marketing videos, wedding videos, documentaries, and just about anything in between. When digital video became in high demand, Steve was invited to join a team of creatives to produce various forms of media for aviation companies. As a key player for the team, Steve created hundreds of videos and photographs for marketing platforms. After four years of nonstop aerial adrenaline, Steve decided to ground himself and combine all the skills he'd accumulated over the previous 15 years to start with his own standalone media production company, Enlightening Media. If you'd like to learn more about Steve Hollingsworth, please see our show notes for links to his website and social media accounts. Hey, everybody, welcome to another fantastic podcast. And today is extra special because I have somebody who's very near and dear to me for a number of reasons. One, he's an incredible human being. I enjoy hanging out with him. He's incredibly funny. But he is also a part of Further West, which is the lovely production parent company that provides this incredible podcast. So I'm so excited to share with you somebody I get to hang out with all the time who has an incredible journey and an incredible story. And he's just a generally awesome human being from top to bottom, Stevie Hollingsworth. Well, Steve Hollingsworth, otherwise known as Stevie Thunder or Thundy Pants, if you're my son, Ah. is here with us this episode. And I can't wait to dive into him. And uh, welcome, Thundy Pants. Hey, thanks for having me on, Candice. And wow, (laughs) what an introduction. The pressure is on. The one thing that I absolutely hate is talking about myself. So thank you for making me do that for an hour and a half. I know, but the Uh, one thing I'm incredibly good at is making people talk about themselves. So we're going to have a blast. Fantastic. Let's start at the beginning of you. Little little baby Thundy Pants, um, Stevie Hollingsworth. Steve Hollingsworth is his real, legit, legal name. You should know him by that. But I will refer to him as Thundy Pants. Um, (laughs) Where were you born? What was your life scope kind of like from zero to five-ish? What was your family like? What was the environment like that you were growing up in? Sure. Okay. So, uh, born in Las Vegas. Uh, in 1987. Yeah, that makes me 34. Uh, let's see here. So I have five other siblings and 
I lived in Las Vegas until about, I think, 92. Where are and then you? My parent. I'm sorry to interrupt uh-huh. you, but where are you in the lineup of the five? Oh, I'm the baby. I'm the youngest. Yeah. <sighs> you little yeah. nugget. Please continue. Sure. So, yeah, uh, my parents uh, wanted to leave the city and they drug us to Chino Valley, Arizona. Oh, boy. What a, what a change that was. Um, Why? I was still relatively young, though. I mean, I remember going to kindergarten in Las Vegas and then, uh, then you know, moving to Chino Valley. It was like my parents were like dropping me off at school, the kindergarten and, you know, like waiting until the teachers like got us and like took us to the classroom. But then in Chino Valley, it was like they opened the front door. They're like, get the hell out of the house. And you go walk to the bus stop <laughs> and you trust all these creepy backwoods folk with your life. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, quite quite a quite a change that was. Um, but you know what? Um, I, I think that I wouldn't be like the creative or the artist I am today uh, if I didn't grow up in such a rural place. Because really, had to kind of figure it out for myself. And you know, um, I was just going to say, there, yeah, if you don't mind me jumping in for just a second, ahead, I was just going to say because I have. Um, family who lives in Chino Valley. So I, but it, from a Las Vegas setting, which most people listening are aware of what Las Vegas is like, Chino Valley is quite rural. It's farmland, a lot of farmland, a lot of cattle grazing land, a lot of big open skies and not a whole lot to do. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, thank, 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 thank you for giving the, the, the listeners, uh, context of that because i forget that we're not just having a conversation here we're like we're, we're speaking to an audience so thank you for that but yes absolutely right and you know even more so back in 92 um you know it was way more just farmland and like really nothing going on out there i mean i think my elementary school had like i don't know like a total like five to six hundred students there or something it was crazy um but again yeah i have to attribute a lot of the creativity and the the uh uh, talents that I've developed over the years to having absolutely nothing to do in a farmland so um, other you, than make music and learn photography, you know? That's amazing. That's what I was just going to ask. In your family, were you kind of a black sheep for being a creative kid or was that kind of par for the course among the five of you? Did you all kind of find these creative outlets in order to entertain yourselves? Yeah. So, I mean, I was definitely the black sheep for other reasons, but uh, both actually my mom and my dad were drummers too. Um, my mom, well, my mom was more of a, yeah, my mom was a percussionist in the high school band. Then my dad actually played the trap kit. He's a, he's a jazz drummer. He still plays a little bit here and there, but yeah, he was, he was quite good actually. Um, and that's kind of why I play drums is just because there was a drum set laying around the house. So, um, you know, I guess we're going to kind of jump all over the place here, but, uh, yeah, you know, I've always like sat behind the drum set and just like learned a couple beats for fun. Whenever my friends come over, they're like, well, what's that thing? And I'm like, it's really cool. It makes a lot of noise. Come check it out. You know? And then like, I would go impress them with like a really simple, like two, four beat or something. Um, but then like high school rolled around and I think I was just lacking so much attention that I wanted to play into play in a play in a band. Um, and so then I actually like took it a step further and learned how to play. Now okay. I should have listened to my father who was a jazz musician, but of course I didn't because I was a punk rocker. So that's this... one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no regrets. It's just uh, the journey of who you are and who you become. Now I, you have said a couple things that 
beg the question for me, for people listening, but also for me, this is one of my favorite things about the podcast is that I learn things that I should know or would know if we got to do this more often and just sit and talk about our lives instead of working hard, um, <laughs> which you work very hard. A couple things beg the question. You said, you know, I was probably craving so much attention that I just, you know, dove in. Were you in that aspect? Were your parents working? Were you guys left to your own devices often as kids? Was the fact that you were in a rural town, like you just said, with the door open, go and yeah. we'll see on the backside. Was anybody worrying about <laughs> like where your afternoons were going? How did you um, get, become a punk rock kid? Like what music in this transformation, yeah. but as we're getting into high school, how did little Stevie Thunder turn into punk rock, Stevie Thunder, <laughs> metal player? You know, how did we get to being this person who figured out all these things that we're going to get into? Yeah. So, so the, the Stevie Thunder actually came a little bit later in life and we'll get there, but, but yes, to everything else, all the above where my parents were working constantly to support, you know, six kids, um, you know, they're religious people and they're, you know, the typical, you know, want the big family. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time we were definitely left to, to do our own thing. You know, it was, you know, school and then you come home and then one of the parents is probably can now they have to work a graveyard and the other ones make dinner or something like that. And, uh, yeah, you know, you're just kind of in the middle of nowhere, just trying to figure stuff out, but, uh, to, to try and follow your, all of your questions there. <laughs> I think you asked like, how, how did I get, how did I get to, Oh, I was lacking attention. Well, you know, I grew up in a big family. I mean, you can only get so much attention in a big, big family. I feel like, right. Yeah. Like your son, cute little Bodie, Holy crap. He's going to grow up to be a superstar. I mean, I, He's everybody's best friend. Like, I feel like I wasn't like talking to anybody. I, I felt like I fought to have attention when I was a kid. So being a performer playing drums was like the perfect thing. That um, makes sense. And and even, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say that makes sense. I, you know, it, the reason I asked like a series of seven questions in a row is because as the youngest is the baby, so often in stereotypical dynamics, you hear, oh, the baby got all the attention. The baby got all the, no, the baby got everything he wanted, you know, yeah. because by that point they had had five others and they were like, whatever, fine, take it. <laughs> you know, like it's yours. <laughs> just go entertain yourself. But they got all of the things. And so I just thought that was an interesting comment and I'm an only child. So when I hear things like that, I obviously am like, Ooh, tell me more big family. How does that work? Yeah. You know? Um, but I, yeah, that makes no, it's, sense. It's interesting. Were any of your siblings musical since your parents were, did you guys ever think of being like the Von Trapp band where you guys all played something or was it kind of solely your interest? No. Yeah. So, so my dad, so my dad continued playing drums. My mom, my mom played a little bit of piano as well. Uh, but then my dad continued playing drums and kind of inspired all of us to like learn the drums a little bit. Um, and then I would say my, my sister Pauline played piano. She's the second to the oldest. Uh, the third to the oldest is my brother, Joe. He was kind of a rapper and then everybody else didn't do anything. And I didn't, I wasn't really considering myself a musician. Well, actually I take that back. I was going to say, I wouldn't consider myself a musician until I started playing punk rock. But in middle school, I was the first chair clarinet. Hey, I didn't <laughs> know that. That's awesome. I know. I totally forgot that. Like, I was actually pretty badass at clarinet. <laughs> it's so Have random. you picked one up so any time in your adult life? Have you ever picked up a clarinet again? No, of course not. <laughs> no, I was just, no, I mean, I played it for like two years or something like that. And then like, turns out I was pretty good at it or, or something, or like I took it serious, I guess. Uh, you know, probably wasn't too much competition back in the middle school days, but hey, I'll take it. First chair. <laughs> 
So, so I was a musician before I became a punk rock drummer, but not a serious one. Um, so yeah, let's see. And how did punk rock find you? What was the, what was the song that you went, what is that? I want to play that. Okay. I can say this now because marijuana is legal, but (laughs) when I was, um, well, it wasn't legal for, for, for kiddos, but Hey, I was, you know, I was a skateboarder hanging out with kind of all the punk rockers and, and I was like a pretty dang good skateboarder for my age. And so when I was a freshman in high school, I was hanging out with all the seniors and we were always going to the skate park and going to parties and stuff. And some of the seniors I was hanging out with, they had a punk rock band called the Substandards, and they were super tight, super good. In fact, um, the bass player of that band is now the bass player of a rather large band called Andrew Jackson Jihad. Everybody's heard of them. Um, but anyways, those guys uh, got me high for the first time at one of the rehearsals. And then I watched them play and I was like, this is, this is insane. Like it was the first time I smoked marijuana and I was like, (laughs) Whoa, like, like how, how quick and aggressive everything was, how loud everything was, but how tight everything was. I think, you know, their, their band was super, super kind of technical for punk rock. They weren't really like, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's a lot of like, gutter punk that's just like kind of sloppy on purpose they don't really keep a good tempo and it's just like the guys just kind of blah 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 in the mic or whatever and it's kind of crap these guys like definitely had that punk rock vibe but they were so tight and i was just super intrigued by it um and so like i was like man like tomorrow i'm going to become a punk rock drummer because i have a drum set at home and i'm bored and now i'm super driven and inspired and from that day forward like skateboarding drums like that was it like that it was all you were like my life is now shaped it was so cool yeah it was the coolest thing ever so then going into high um, school did you join that band or a band did you then yeah seek it out (laughs) yes so okay so then (laughs) so then me and my skate buddies i was like listen up guys i'm like i just had the most amazing experience i was like i have a drum set at home i'm playing drums you guys got guitars for Christmas. You're learning how to play guitars, goddamn! Like we're gonna do this, and and we did. And like, like I remember there was just like one summer we just drove my parents nuts, and we just like you know of course my dad was you know coming to the drum set trying to show me rudiments, and he's putting on you know jazz standards and stuff. And I'm just like, get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> and I have uh, aggressive music to play. Yeah, exactly. Like that stuff is lame. It's for old people. Uh, you know, now I find myself practicing rudiments and trying to learn jazz. It's kind of funny how things flip, but, uh, anyway, yeah. So I like basically forced my friends to start playing music and, uh, you know, we continued on for a few years and we started our first punk band, which and was, it was called? a lot of fun. It was called Gapa, and it makes no sense because the reason why it makes <laughs> no sense is my dad being a religious man, he never swore, but when he got really angry, you'd get fl- flustered and he would just be like, that's Gapa. And just like make up like weird words. And we thought it was the funniest thing ever. So we named our punk band that. How perfect, right? So, so yeah. I love that story. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> <It's> ridiculous. <laughs> I haven't told that story in forever. 
It's really funny. It's wonderful. So you're in high school now. You're a drummer. You're a skater. You drive. And this is what I love about knowing you and also hearing these stories is that, like, I love that you were like, listen, dudes, everybody got instruments. Like, we're making this happen. You're still very much that person in the best way. Like, you're, you're still like, listen, we can make this happen. We can have deadlines. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Like, let's get it together. And I love that you keep us on a, on a train more often than anybody else I know. Um, (laughs) so I love knowing that young Stevie (laughs) Thundee was doing the same thing. Um, how Mm -hmm. did you in high school, you were this, you creating like your, your coming of age identity. How did you, you had mentioned photography earlier. How did that come into your life? Because, Ultimately, although you are still a drummer and you play in bands and you practice drums, your career is now in media, in videography, in photography. Right. How did that start right. introducing itself into your life? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so videography actually came first. Um, and I think that came, I think it was sophomore year of high school. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I was, I was skateboarding all of the time and any of the good skaters always had like a high eight camcorder and they would always bring it with them to the skate park because you know, you didn't really land the trick unless you have proof of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I absolutely loved watching skateboarding videos. It was just a, a source of inspiration. Um, so I wanted to make my own. And so there was, um, I think it was, the, yeah, it was the summer of, of freshman year going into sophomore year. I shoveled horse shit out in Chino at a <laughs> ranch for like, like eight weeks straight. It seemed like an eternity. And I saved up, I think it was 350 bucks. And I bought my first high eight camcorder. Um, yeah. And it was basically just to make skate videos. And then, uh, another source of inspiration back then was the MTV jackass crew, you know, the, uh, Johnny Knoxville, Bam Margera. And they had a couple other production companies too, called CKY or the videos were called CKY. Um, But, you know, it's everything a teenage boy loves, you know, it's like, you know, dick and fart humor and just, you know, practical, practical jokes on your friends and really cool skateboarding and stunts. And I was like, man, I want to create this stuff myself. So, um, so I had the camcorder. I think I was like going over to friends' houses and like hopping on their parents' computers and like loading my footage on there and like editing without their permission and like bogging their computers down with all of our footage. And like, like I, I was so driven back then, which I still am, but I mean, like, I, it was like hell or high water. Like we are getting this done. We're going to do this. And so anyways, that's kind of where that started. And then I think it was sophomore, junior year. There was actually a video production class offered at uh, zero hour at my high school. Um, And of course I wanted to be a part of that. So uh, I was attending that and there was the local access TV station manager uh, who, who came in as a guest speaker one day, you know, and just, you know, I forget what he taught us, but it was, really boring but at the end of it he was basically asking if anybody you know wanted to come to the station and you know learn more stuff and you know uh basically do an intern and uh you know i was the only one that was interested and it wasn't because um wasn't because i really cared about local access as much as i was just like i see an opportunity here like if i intern there i gotta use all the equipment and like they have editing machines and I can continue making my jazz videos, which is hilarious to think about because I mean, we're like, we're teenagers breaking the law on camera. 
and I'm at City Hall editing this shit. Like, <laughs> and nobody had any idea. <laughs> well, this is part of what I love about your story, because this part of your life I know more about. And and I've always been blown away about how what a self-starter you are and have always been. I mean, I literally, that's a trait in you that every time you share stories with me and, and different parts of your life, this through line to you is that, like, you see it, you want it, you conquer it, you you fly with the drive like you're just like drive right toward the goal and I love that about you so much but I love knowing like exactly that this young kid who's a teenager really is like oh I'll take you up on this thing because then I could do my illegal shit and use your stuff to make it happen <laughs> and put it out to a bunch yeah. of you know like ruckus kids yeah. and teenagers and just show how badass we are but and let yeah, other people pay for yeah. it <laughs> it's funny yeah because you know I, yeah I'm definitely an opportunist and like but in a good know. way, yeah, in a good way, in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I was definitely able to see the opportunity there. Like everybody was like, Oh my God, who is that old guy from the local access channel? Like how lame. And I was the only one that raised my hand. They're like, really, Steve, you want to go do that? And I'm like, yeah, like you guys are missing everything here. And, you know, and, and to, to backpedal a little bit, like we weren't really breaking the law. We were just like skateboarding at places that we shouldn't be skateboarding totally. and filming it. You were doing but you like, know, soft crime. <laughs> but it was so cool because like i literally i had the key to the kingdom there like they, they gave me the key to city hall and i could go into the tv station and i was there until like midnight like on school nights editing all of my favorite videos and actually still have some and of that this stuff. i would say is a benefit to a small town because it's exactly right. that it's not like you have thousands of kids running around getting in trouble and then they're like oh you have the interest that's right. here here's the keys <laughs> you know? that's right that's right no for sure and 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 it's like you know and anybody that moves from a big city. Luckily for me, it happened so early on, but anybody that moved from a big city in the, you know, teenage years or something, they moved to a small town and it's like, Hey, you want to be a videographer? It's so easy to make an excuse being like, yeah, but where the hell am I going to like find the opportunity to do that? You know, like, where am I going to be able to edit videos? There's no like media facilities, you know? And right. like, well, it turns out there is, you just have to look for it. Totally. You know? and sometimes they met. Ma- they manifest themselves in, in different ways. Like even, you know, that like you moved to Prescott, which is very rural from where you're from yeah. and you're making your career happen here. I love it here, but I love it for all the same reasons. Yeah. I love it here because people are so, um, not over inundated with so many people having that kind of drive and having that kind of foresight or that kind of interest. And instead of it being like, oh yeah, you and everybody else, it's really open armed because it's like, wow, we love that you have these ideas and visions and different things. And so much can flourish with the kind of support that we're given in a community like this, which I think is awesome. So to your point, like, yeah, whoop, whoop, find a small town go do you. Um, yeah, High school. Yeah. So now you're editing, you're, you're working at the local access. How did you feel about yeah. that? What did you take in? What was new to you? What were you bored out of your wits with the farm segments? Like, what did you get to go do? <laughs> no, I mean, like all we really did was it was all government access stuff. So I, I've been to more city council meetings than anybody on planet earth. I've seen, I, and, and at a very young age too, cause yeah, again, I was 15 years old interning. And I think like six months after, like even before I was 16, they offered me a position there and they started paying me. And I was like, this is cool. Um, And, you know, it was real basic. But yeah, I mean, I was basically live broadcasting city council meetings. Um, The station manager there, my boss, he was the only employee there. And and he, uh, he was getting up there in age and he was getting a little experimental, let's say, with the equipment and trying to like 
add character generators and graphics and all this cool stuff. And he like ended up like kind of breaking everything, but <laughs> I learned the system and, and I, I would end up like fixing everything that he kind of screwed up. Cause he'd be like, this is back in the day. Yeah. Like to like get, to get like characters on the screen, you had to like unplug decks and you would have to like plug in like five other pieces of equipment with the keyboard and like type it in and like hit play and then like switch it on screen to like key it in. And it was just such a setup. Um, so he would do things like that. And then like the broadcast would go off the air. And then like, I would have to go back there and like plug everything back in correctly and kind of save the day. Anyway, the town manager started to notice that. And when I was like, I think it was 18 years old, he gave me the TV station manager position, which was so sick. And I like, cause like it, it was a government job. Like I had, I was working 40 hours a week. I think this was back in like 2006 and they were paying me like 15 bucks an hour or something, which is like, was like decent money back then. And they had like paid vacation for an 18 year old dude, seriously. And like, I had all the freedom in the world. That, that was the other thing. It was like the next level. Like it went from like being able to like go use the TV station uh, when, when the other guy wasn't there to being like, this is mine. The work is so easy. Like it is just so easy. I have all this time on my hand. I'm a salary employee. I'm like, now it's really time to get this done. So like that was, those were some good years of learning. Yeah. I was going to say, so in that instance, you now get this big promotion, really. Was there anything at that point that you're like, how did you figure out what you didn't know based on what you hadn't learned? Or or had you already learned all the skills that you needed for that section of the job? You know what I mean? Because it's like, wow, you get this big raise. It's yours. You can run it. But like you knew what you knew. How did you start oh, yeah. to filter in what you didn't know? Sure. Well, a lot of the stuff I didn't know was how to be like, a government employee like i had to like now attend meetings and like go by agendas and like submit i don't know just like simple things now for me but but back then like it was daunting like i knew how to like hook up like tape decks and like dub tapes and uh do like character generation and chroma king and all this crazy technical stuff but i had no idea what it was like to like work a real job so like i don't know i just it was like trial by fire like kind of fake it till you make it and then you know um in terms of like learning more of the technical stuff, there was other uh, TV stations that we kind of partnered with around the area. And, you know, I would go, you know, busting on them and soak up some of their knowledge and bring it back. And then, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what you had to do back then because there wasn't a YouTube. There was no YouTube university. This is why I brought yeah. this up because in, in yeah. the same yeah. breath, it's like, it, it's, it sounds looking back at it now for you, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's, uh, you know, no. I just did this, I just did that. But like, yeah. Honestly, that, that's kind of incredible. You learned a whole career format by trial by fire. Like you literally figured out your yeah. life career as you went, which is part of what I find so inspiring about your story, because it's not often that an 18 or even a 20 year old is like, OK, here's the opportunity. Go run it. Figure it out. Yeah. If you don't know how to do it, no, I, find a way to find a way to yeah. do it. Yeah. And I think I think the other thing was it like. It, it taught me how to be like a respectable adult, like at a really young age too, because I'm interfacing like once a week with the town manager, you know, like the top dog of the town. And like, I'm in on all their meetings. So like on one hand, I'm like this punk rock metalhead party animal kid, but then I have to like know how to turn it off and go be professional. Um, yeah, that's a and, good life skill. I, yeah, it was super, it was super awesome. So yeah, how long did you time. have that position? How long did you run that? Jeez. So... I did that for 
from like 18 to 22, 23, maybe like five years. It was good. Um, and then, you know, it was time to move on. It was time to like go become a freelancer and do bigger things. Um, did you start having more like creative endeavors in your mind? Was there, did you feel at that point, like, this is great. It's solid. I know how to do it. I can do it in my sleep. But were you starting, yeah. what was influencing your growth? Was there other things you wanted to try? Yeah, actually. Well, you know, I, I was playing a lot more music than taking that super seriously. Like that was, I was, I was striving to make that my career at that point. Um, my band at the time, it was called storm of perception. And I mean, we were all about it. Like, I mean, rehearsing three times a week, constantly writing stuff, uh, always making music videos. I mean, we were like one of the only local bands, like in the area, at least, or in Arizona making music videos because of my skill set and my, um, right. resources. Um, anyways, yeah, I wanted to do band stuff full time and, you know, it's really difficult to like have a full-time job and do band stuff full-time, especially in a metal band. Cause like you have to sell tickets in order to get on these bigger bills with these like national acts down in Phoenix. And also these national acts, uh, only come through Arizona, like on a Tuesday night or something. So now you got to sell a ton of tickets to like people in Prescott or like, you know, hours away from the venue, uh, and, and expect them to travel there on like a Tuesday night and come see you. And, uh, you know, otherwise like you're literally like paying to play but anyways we were like we were hardcore like we were we were super about it we didn't care about any of the money or anything uh we were like looking at doing like big tours and stuff and then uh actually the reason why i did quit that job and it, yes it was to take the music stuff more seriously but uh our friend Corey niven his dad kind of came into our band and wanted to manage us he previously managed Guns N' Roses. So it was just like, no, connection to lore. And, you know, like within, I don't know, a couple of months of him working with us, he already had us like a pretty sweet record deal with like the biggest indie metal record label in World Metal Blade Records. Um, you know, he had big plans for us and it was just time to really start focusing on that stuff. So I needed something that wasn't a salary position. I needed to have more flexibility and like, truthfully, it was the right thing to do because I feel like anybody that's a, a business owner, more or less in, in this industry was a freelancer first. So, but yeah, so, so I, I was like, it's time to like, go like make better money, but only work like two or three days a week, even though it's like kind of hit and miss. Um, how yeah, did yeah. you, how did you start? I love this part of your story in the transition because Oftentimes people get worn out by the daunting nature of like, oh, just go out and be your own boss, you know, and it, and so many people are like, ah, that's terrifying. For you, yeah. this was this experience where it was like a both and to feed the other goal at the same time, but still be able to feed yourself doing something you enjoy doing. How did you initially go out and figure out clients? How did you initially find freelance work? Who did you offer your services to? Yeah. So, so starting out, it wasn't me contracting any jobs. I was literally either working on a set as like DIT or like some smaller position production assistant, maybe assistant camera or something, or I was working on like broadcast shoots, like for like ABC and stuff like that. So it was, you know, it wasn't me being the business person, but you also kind of have to have a business mind and be self-driven in order to get that work because nobody's giving it to you. <laughs> right. That's more like, I mean, how were you taking connections that you had had from the 
town city position and then going, Oh, no. how are you, how are you finding this work? Yeah. You know, um, it was just meeting people, you know, it was just connections. It was just like, I don't know. I was, there was like a TV station, um, out here, a little bit more of a commercial station that did like a morning show. And I was the floor director on that. And that was pretty consistent, but I mean, it paid nothing, but it was consistent. And I met a lot of people through there and a lot of crew members are crewing on other jobs and they end up pulling you in. And like, and it always starts out like this, like, Hey man, we need somebody like somebody called out. Like we need somebody bad. Like you make it over this morning. You're like, yes, I will be there. And then you do it better than the person that missed work. And then they call you. It's very cutthroat. It's kind yeah. of a dirty industry. <laughs> it it's is actually tough. not that bad. No, but it's it, not it that is bad, but what you just said sums it up very well. There's a lot of people because most people are day players or, or, you know, day contracts yeah. that, yeah. you know, if somebody doesn't make it and they replace you and that guy's just as good, if not better and reliable in their eyes, then he gets the next call. You're right. To totally. And the flip side to that is like, you know, then, then you get really busy working on a crew. Um, and then like, let's say that something comes up and you can't make one of the days, then they more or less blacklist you. Like you don't get called again. Like they find somebody else and then somebody else takes your position. Right. It's a circle. Like on the first day. Oh yeah. On the first day, everybody shows up to work giving 110%. After you work on the crew for a while, everybody starts making friends and then, you know, then it's jokes over the intercoms. And then before you know it, you know, you're, you kind of softened up and then, and then the next guy comes in when, when you miss your day and he takes your job. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, snap, that's what I did to the last guy. Crap. Yeah, you know, and it, it's not even like that, though. I mean, it's it's very polyamorous. Like there's no <laughs> in the fr in the freelance world. There There is no it, it's it's not even it's not even conditional. It's just it just is what it is. Like whoever wants to show up and play and if there's room and you can do it like you got it. Cool. Done. Like the person that's crewing, like the coordinating producers aren't even thinking about like, who's the best. They're just thinking about how to have a full freaking crew, you know? Totally. <laughs> All right, y'all. Today's episode is brought to you by Gray Dog Guitars, located at 141 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Gray Dog Guitars is an authorized tailor, Gretsch, Guild, and Reverend dealer with a friendly, knowledgeable staff and a welcoming environment. Whatever you are looking for, whether to buy, sell, or trade, Gray Dog Guitars has you covered. So stop by today and check out their great selection of new, used, and vintage gear and check them out at www.graydogguitars.com. How are you yeah. balancing? How is how is the band doing as you were taking on these extra side jobs and working in that? Were you able to keep your focus on the band and where was the band going yeah. from there? Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The band the band was kicking ass at that point. You know, we were playing, you know, we were packing the house at local shows and stuff. We were definitely the big fish in the small pond, and then we were kind of making our way down into the, the Phoenix circuit, doing really well out there. Um, then we recorded a full length album that, that was just a grueling process because our band manager, Alan Niven wanted to, I hope he never hears this by the way. Uh, <laughs> he wanted to, uh, produce it as well. And, uh, you know, he's very particular and, you know, um, actually let me, uh, back up a little. So not only was our, was our band, he ended up starting a record label that we also signed onto. So, so, so originally he got us to deal with Metal Blade Records and then our singer of the band, right when we were about to sign this killer deal, like decides to have a, a freak out and we basically had to kick him out of the band. Okay. 
and I don't want to say any more personal things about this, even though there's a ton of personal stuff that I shouldn't <laughs> say. But anyways, we kick we kick him out of the band and things get really weird. And then it was like Metal Blade's like, all right, well, what's going on, guys? Like, are you gonna be able to, you know, send these tracks over? Do you have a singer? Like, come on, we gotta go. High pressure. And and our band manager Alan was like, we should just, you know, put them on hold for a little bit, figure out who's gonna be the right fit for you guys, and then we can go, you know, we go back after Metal Blade. There's plenty of other record labels, whatever. He ended up getting a bunch of investors. Alan ended up getting a bunch of investors and he started his own record company. And he gave us the sweetest deal anybody could ever have, you know, but brand new record company. So anyways, fan manager also, he he owned the record company that we're signed to and he wanted to produce our album. And so we spent, I don't know, a good year or something working on this album. I, I think there was like 10 tracks to it or something like that. So that took up a lot of time. We were able to keep our focus on that. And then also during that period, he had, he was paying some people to like really heavily market us. And he was all about like sending the cryptic messages into the world to keep people like hungry for more, so to speak. So that whole time that we were playing, that we were recording our album, we weren't necessarily out playing shows, which was like making us super anxious. So the, the good, uh, the flip side of that. And the good thing is that I was able to work more and like, you know, keep a roof over my head. But, but yeah, no, there was, it was a busy time and, and I was juggling a lot and I made it work. Um, you know, and that was also, that was during the recession. Like that was tough. Yeah, I'm laughing because I watching I have the benefit of being able to see you where other people don't, but watching your eyes like kind of roll up and and see you can see all the thoughts like passing through your head in right in front of you as you're talking about it. And I love that. How did that ultimately like where did that then translate into what happened next in a sense? Like did it it doesn't sound as though it went well, but I don't like to presume that. Did it eventually crumble? Did it stay around? How did we how did you guys transition through that next section of time? Yeah, yeah. So so album got released. We actually got uh Universal to distribute it, which was amazing. Um, you know, this was kind of before it was so easy to like get on Spotify and iTunes and stuff. Like so we got some really killer distribution on it. Um, and then, you know, our band manager only wanted us to play giant shows. So he was, you know, it didn't, it didn't end very well because, and, and, you know, it sounds like I'm blaming him. Like I understand what he was going for, but he believed in us so much. He probably believed in us more than we did, but he'd only wanted us to like play like stadium shows and festivals and things like that, which was just really hard to get an unknown band on. Right. So, um, you know, anyways, fast forward, uh, this is where I kind of like lost interest in playing in the band. And I just like went head first into my career as a videographer, cinematographer. And, um, so, uh, anyways, I was, I was working on a music video for that album and it turned out great. Um, and there was a guy in town who, who has a, a video production company and, and he saw the music video and he thought it was fantastic. And he more or less offered me a position at his production company. Um, and the key thing here was that his biggest client was a helicopter company. And he was like, dude, do you want to like come work with me? You can like hang out of helicopters and get paid to do it. And I was like, yes, Badass. this is going to be awesome. So yeah. So then my, and I still played in the band, but I, my focus went completely to that. So let me ask you this because I'm just curious at this exact crossroad of your life. Do you think you held equal passion 
for music as you did videography? Do you feel like both have a special place in your heart, but they've kind of ebbed and flowed into each other? And that at this cross point, maybe you found yourself getting more interested in videography because of the frustrations of music. How has that weighed in your heart spectrum kind of a thing? I love talking to multi-creative people because, it, you know, balance is an interesting thing in life, like how we put our energy yeah. and where we put it. How are you feeling about those two things um, against each other in a sense? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm going to say something and I'm, this is super facetious, but you know, when you're, when you're in your, you know, late teens or twenties and you're the poor, you know, local rock star guy, you can get chicks and you're a cool guy <laughs> and people love you. Um, when you're pushing 30 and your band is still like that local band, like trying so hard, you don't look so cool anymore. I'm kidding. I'm just being totally facetious, but no, I mean, it, it really did get to the point where I was like, damn dude, I'm like, I'm getting old. I'm like, I'm 26 years old. Like, but the, the cool thing was, is I had another passion and that was videography, cinematography, you know, production. And, and I had an opportunity to like make, actually make some money at it and, you know, go do some cool shit. And go, expand go your, out of again, expand your capability. Now you're not oh. in a studio or a station. You're hanging out of a helicopter. Dude, dude, it was cool. It was rad. And like, that was, that was a, a big growth spurt for me because it went from working for a guy's company who was contracted with this helicopter company to actually getting hired on at the helicopter company and more or less like taking over their marketing department. And so, um, that, that, that made me grow in so many different ways. It was crazy, but, um, you know, and then, and then that kind of came to an end because, uh, two of the most experienced pilots that were just like by far better than anybody else went down in a crash and died. And it, it, it went from, it went from, uh, being like, Oh my God, how am I getting paid to do this? This is like the coolest thing ever to having to get into that same model helicopter where they went down from a mechanical uh, failure and being like, Oh man, like, is this, is this it? Like, is this my last flight? Like, so it just gave me some pretty serious anxiety. I was going to say that's a, that's a big 180 because you now yeah. have your whole work experience, your whole creative experience, your whole learning experience from a yeah. polar opposite point of view. Yeah. One is yeah, complete crazy. excitement and, you know, and elevation and joy. And the other is complete fear and anxiety. And, oh gosh, if I have to step in this copter one more time, like what if that's the time, you know, I mean, I, it would be hard to do yeah. that job with that knowledge for people, you know, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't want to say anything disparaging about the helicopter company because it had nothing to do with them. They're, they're amazing, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's definitely that it's, it's, you know, one, one day you're just having the time of your life. The next, you know, before you know it, it's like, man, shit just got real. Like what was so much fun just isn't anymore. So, um, so then I started my own business at that point. I was like, while I was working there, I was like, I need to get my own LLC because at that point I was also, I had a deal with them where, um, I was like, Hey, you know, uh, you guys don't exactly have like cinematography gear, do the stuff you want me to do. And that's okay. Tell you what, how about I buy my own stuff and then, you know, you can rent it from me whenever, whenever we utilize it. And, uh, 
and I worked a pretty sweet deal out with them. And so I started procuring all of my own gear, started getting paid a little bit more there. And it was all a plan to get my LLC and just like go out on my own. Now I didn't necessarily like completely want to stop working with them. I was like, okay with like making them, you know, contract or contracting with them or whatever, but we ended up parting ways eventually. Um, it was all for the better. And then at that point I was like, Oh, guess what? I'm a business owner now. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. So that's cool. <laughs> so then I'm going to ask you kind of the same question I asked you before. At this point, you were like, I yeah. am in charge of going out and getting my jobs and I am the one representing me and my equipment and my ability. How did you make those connections start to come to fruition in, in your business life? Um, a lot of hounding, just hounding people, <laughs> uh, you know, just it really, I don't know. It, 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 I, you know, the, the good, the good thing is, is that I know everybody where, where I live and, and, uh, can't say I have any enemies and, and I have a pretty good rapport with everybody. And I would just check in, like, you know, you always, uh, when, when I was starting out, I, I went after all of my friends that worked for places that had money that were really profitable. And, you know, just pitch them stuff like, Hey, you know, like check out this video that I made. What do you think? Maybe we could, you know, and then, and then I would, you know, pitch something like, what if we did this for your company? Like your guys's marketing sucks. Like, let's do something cool, you know? And then like every once in a while I'd get a biter, you know, and then I'd reel it in. And, well, and, and, and then of course, like on the, on the very first job, you always go like 120% too. Like, you give them exceptional customer service. You 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 get the extra shots. You work to relate, and you deliver extra early, so that way they call you back again. And like I did that, starting, and I still do that for the most part. But or I try to, um, you know. But now I'm just overloaded. But uh, that's that's kind of how I made it work. I I just I just proved to people like first off I would I would have to convince them, which was hard, and I would pitch them something. And then I would just have to over deliver. And that is initially how we actually met. Because that was this exact scenario. I was needing a music video for Slim Gamble in Nashville. And a friend of yours who thinks very highly of you, who is also part of Further West in <laughs> Ludwig. Um, he was like, oh, my buddy Steve's a great, you know, cameraman. He does great videos. You should give him a call. And I yeah. met you and I was like, here's the deal. <laughs> we have like two days, 24 hours. Really. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. The story's way better than that, Candace. <laughs> it was Dylan says, hey, Candace Devine, I don't know if you heard of her. She's, uh, you know, killer artist in town. She's looking for somebody for a music video. And I think I think I did. I, I have I had heard of you at that point. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, give her my number. Tell her, tell her to give me a call. And I remember you sent me a text or something. You're like, yeah, let's connect up tomorrow. So I call you and you're, you were just frantic, like, Hey, I'm like, I got the kid and I'm like in the middle of jobs right now, but Hey, let's get slim on the phone because it's actually going to be a project with him. And I'm like, slim, who the hell is slim? You know? And then you get slim gamble on the phone and I had no idea that I was talking to the guitar player of Lady Annabelle. Crazy. Uh, and then sweet we established, guy. yeah, yeah. Super sweet guy. Yeah, totally. And, and, and we established that, uh, this, you know, his, his video editor, was going on tour with his band or something and he basically needed the files like three days from the phone call and i was like got it so we need to do this like tomorrow then <laughs> what's the so it's like what's what's the idea for the video that's my favorite part you of the know. story oh wait so you need this you, you need me to do this like tomorrow <laughs> yeah sure up for the challenge and then and then 
I think I remember him saying something like, oh, you know, it's super laid back, you know, just kind of guerrilla shooting, sh- get shots of Candace around town. We'll pepper him in, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, okay, all right. And then, and then I spoke to his editor and he kind of gave his editor full creative control. And then, then his editor was like, we need something kind of moody, uh, maybe like a bar scene or something. And I was like, all right, got it. So, you know, I used my connections. I called, you know, the, my buddy that bartends at the bird cage, the local bar in town. And, Great place. Uh, you know, totally set that up. And, and I remember Candace walking in and she was like, holy shit. Like, this is like a film set. <laughs> <laughs> well, to my, to your point, you over delivered. Like I was so ready because same setup. I was like, oh, basically we have 24 hours. I'm going to like go sit yeah. at a bar and he's going to have like a, you know, a camcorder. <laughs> sure. gonna, and I walked in yeah. and it was a full set with full lighting and mood and vibe and multi-camera and angles. And I was like, Wow. That's and right. blown out of my mind. And then to that point, you were also the guy, as we started kind of concocting the production company and, and everything we were working on cohesively, once we realized we get along pretty darn well and can create good stuff, you were like, hey, uh, you should do podcasts. <laughs> yeah. And that's how we're yeah. here now as well, 58 well, something episodes later. Well, I don't, to backpedal a little bit, I don't know if you remember this, but our, our phone conversation, the day, well, that day, right before we did your shoot, you know, we were talking about budget and you're like, look, dude, we're, we're like paying for this out of our pocket, like, you know, whatever. And I was like, Hey, hey, hey. I'm like, it's cool. Like, you know what? I'm not about making a quick buck. I'm more about making relationships with people that I want. And here we are. And here we are. Almost two years later. I know. And I remember you were like, dude, totally. Like we will work together in the future. And I'm like, you know, some people just say that, but I felt a, a real connection there. And then after meeting you on set and, and working with you, I'm like, she's like one of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> and here we are in 58 something yeah. podcasts later. And we have a 58. Christmas. Is that where we are? This, like, this is like 75. <laughs> I have no idea. And we have a Christmas City special and we have a music documentary series and we have uh, songwriting labs and we have all kinds of crap we've done together. That's pretty damn awesome pretty damn awesome and more to come. So let me ask you this though. So you start the company, you deal with, you know, pains in the butts like me and, and slim, and you make great relationships with people that have a decent sense of humor. How, um, how did that evolve for you as far as from a mental capacity as a business owner now, as the guy chasing the clients now, as the guy delivering early and over, over delivering and creating a reputation amongst town and, and abroad? How, how do you feel in the skin you're in at this point? Like, do you listen to yourself and feel very proud of yourself? Or do you think, oh, God, I can barely sleep at night because I have so much work? You know, uh, it's weird. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Sometimes I just like sit still and think, I'm like, how the hell did I get here? Cause like 10 years ago when my dreams were just to be a performer, uh, you know, like I would have never, I would, I, I guess I could have seen myself like continuing on doing videography or cinematography, but not being a business owner. Like how the hell did I get here? You know, I, I wonder that sometimes. And, um, yeah, you know, it's it's tough. It's it's very rewarding. It's very tough though. And I'm still learning. That's why it's tough. That's why it's really tough because I'm still learning. Like I'm still basically like taking everything on myself. Like I I I hire on freelancers to do my editing now or people to help me out on set. But ultimately, like if there is a mistake, I'm rather than like 
delegating the work back out to them or somebody else, I'm, I'm like taking it on. And, uh, and I never say no to a new client, you know what I mean? And it's like, so I'm, I'm learning and, and, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's been stressful, but it's been good. It's been really good. It's been very rewarding. Um, I mean, you know, I, I work hard and I play harder. Like I still, I still take vacations. I still like make cool things happen, but you know, it's, it's a growth spurt again. Another thing I want to ask you about, because I think this is something you do incredibly well, which for people that are listening and, and wondering about one thing that I think you've done incredibly well is basically carve out your own journey. You were not somebody that was like, I'm going to go to film school specifically to learn everything that you now know. I'm going to go to whatever school to learn this. Uh-huh. And you have been a self-starter from the get. But one thing I've been always impressed by you is that you are very smart about having mentors and people in mm. your life that share ideas with you that share knowledge with you. And you don't take that for granted, which I think is such a, um, important trait and quality to somebody who's going out on their own in any capacity is not thinking, I know everything. I know the answers to all the things you've always, in my opinion and view anyway, been very smart about going, I know I have this massive skill set from all these different ways that I've come at this career, but I still, reach out and learn from people who maybe have either done it longer or differently or found other ways to do it. And you are constantly absorbing knowledge like a sponge. How do you seek those people out? And, and how, what would you share with other people about that experience and keeping people in your life who also continue to inspire and um, teach you? Yeah, sure. Wow. Kind of a loaded question. uh, (laughs) I do that well. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, there's, there's, I, I'll, I'll say this, uh, I don't care who you surround yourself with. There's always something to learn. Um, you know, one, one of, I'm so lucky to have, uh, the mentors that I have had a lot of my mentors in the past have just been bosses and people that, you know, uh, I've worked with freelance with what have you. Uh, currently I have a mentor named Bruce Dorn. He, he was actually podcast number three of the creative convergence uh and this guy just has the most the most incredible story oh my god i mean he's done everything in in the professional photography realm and the advertising realm motion picture industry he's done he's done everything that interests me um you know and i actually had to work on that guy to like get him to somewhat start mentoring me he wasn't he wasn't an easy one to crack he doesn't hang out with just anyone uh, but i think i've won him over um but anyway, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's something you can learn from, from, from anybody. And I, th- this even goes back to my very early years from the TV station manager that had me intern in high school. Like I, as, as wacky and as crazy as that old guy was, uh, you know, there was still something to be learned and there was an opportunity there, you know? So, uh, you know, what, what I would tell anybody is really look for opportunities in, in, in any, you know, any event and, and, you know, just, there's always something to be learned. Just, just keep learning, you know, I'm just curious, how did you like wear down Bruce Thorne? How did you get into that fine man's big beard and make him look? All right. So, so, uh, one of the colleges out here called me up for a freelance gig and they said it was the marketing director. and, And he said, Hey, uh, you know, we're doing an underwater shoot over at the college. It's a marketing piece. Uh, uh, Bruce Dorn is the cinematographer. He's looking for somebody to, to help out. And, and his, his guy left today or, you know, left town today or something. And I was like, 
Bruce Dorn, absolutely. I've heard of that guy. Yeah, cool. I was like, wow, I'm going to go work with Bruce. And really, only thing I did on set that day was really funny. Bruce, is he's, he's a very buoyant human being, and he was having a hard time staying underwater shooting. So I was just drowning him. Like, I was just holding him underwater, <laughs> and it felt so weird to, like, a guy that I idolized to, like, drown. I just had to drown him. Um <laughs> But, but, but I my, think I that's think, a hilarious image because I know what he looks like. I know what you look like. I know his nature yeah. and I know your nature. And the idea of you first meeting him and having to like hold him underwater is incredibly oh, funny. No, like, and I was, <laughs> I was being so careful too. And he got up, he's just like, God damn it. If I have to ask you one more time, you're going to make me really pissed off. Drown me, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. So how, how I wore him down was, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big gearhead as, as he is uh, a video production photography gearhead, you know, and, you know, I was just BS on what them after the shoot. And, and, and you always do this. If you want to like get to know somebody better, uh, you, you say, Hey, do you have anything for sale? Like, you got any, got any equipment for sale? Cause I would love to come over and check it out. And then, and then you come over and you kick tires and then you start asking about things and then he starts bringing up stories and then you start saying, oh yeah, you know, I know that guy too. I actually was on that gig. Oh no shit. You know, and you know, before you know it, you start good rapport. Um, and then, and then really how I wore him down is I found out that he was a cat lover like me and I kept texting him the best cat moves. So, so anybody so listening, it. if if you find something in common and then text brilliant memes to this person you wish to be in your life. <laughs> that's right. You got to find out what they're into, you know, and then find the meme of that. <laughs> that's, that's the amazing. secret. That's amazing. Yeah. No, but but it's been great since, you know, we, we've been working together quite a bit over the last year. He's um, sponsored by a lot of big, you know, film companies like Ari and He's a Canon Explorer of Light. He is sponsored some, by some other lighting companies and just has connections everywhere. And, um, you know, he gets commissioned to go do some pretty dang cool projects. And so so the cool thing is, is um, he hires me on because I'm such a, a tech guy and, and such a, a gearhead that every time a new piece of equipment comes out that he is commissioned to make a video for, I learn it before he does. And then he relies on me to be there on the shoot with them. <laughs> Very smart. There you go. Very smart yeah. though. Yeah. And, and he likes it too. Cause then he doesn't have to spend all the time learning it. Right. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I love both of you. Yeah. You're, you guys are a jolly couple. <laughs> yeah. I like when the two of you are working couple. together because it, it is just solid entertainment all the time. You're that way individually, but when the two of you are together, it's incredibly uh, good for the soul. The laughter is pouring for sure. May Perfect. I ask you a few questions that I ask all of my, all of my guests? Uh, I suppose so. Because <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> we're going to have words about it tomorrow. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. No, having had this incredible journey, I think, and I, I'm going to reiterate this again just because I, I find it so fascinating. I think your nature of being a go-getter is something that has been in your genetics since little because through what you've told me, kind of everything you approach has had this similar style and flair to it. But I love how well you've taken the bull by the horns to become not only self-taught and self-educated, to be, I would say, damn near an expert in your field, if not an expert in your field, and like you said, continually learning at the same time, but all with this self-drive that I think oftentimes, not to put anyone else down, but I think a lot of people lack just because 
Mm. It's intimidating or it's hard. And I think as humans, we get sucked up in things that are hard and intimidating and it's easier to go, ah, I could go out on my own, but you know what? I'll go back. Like when you had that opportunity in the band and it was kind of time to take a left turn and dive in and you said, fuck it, I'm just going to go into business for myself. And instead of saying that could be hard or that could be intimidating, you just went, here I go and I'll build the parachute after I jump and I'll figure it out. Basically. Um, and and so much of, of you is self-taught, you know, through mentors and on-the-job learning mm-hmm. and figuring it out as you went. Um, having had this journey, what is something you would tell your younger self now, knowing everything you know? Oh, geez. Um, well, that's a really, really tough one. Let me think here. What would I tell myself? Um, hmm. Well, number one, don't work so hard just because there was definitely some stuff I did miss out on in life uh, just because I was so driven. I was kind of like blinded by the light. Like I was just so like looking in the future that I forgot to be in the present. So I would tell myself to try and appreciate where you're at versus chasing your goals a little bit more. I mean, I think there's a balance there, right? I I mean, I I think that's such... Um, sage advice, because I think balance is the key to having the most full experience that we have in these bodies. You know, who knows? None of us can, we can all say what we think happens next and what we believe happens next, but we cannot, you know, in any finite way go, this is where you go. This is what happens. So in these trips around the sun that we take, it's nice to create balance so that we have the fullest existence. I think that's a really valuable, valuable piece of advice for your younger self or anyone listening. What would yeah. you say to this point has been a career high, but what has also been a career low for you? Okay. Um, hmm. in, in music, I would say the career high was playing drums. Uh, it was a fallen 19 firefighter benefit mm-hmm. back in 2013. Um, and we got, you know, this is back when Alan Niven, the old Guns N' Roses manager was managing us. He got Slash to come out and play a gig with us. And I actually got to play Paradise City uh, with Slash in front of 4,000 people. And that was also, we had another drummer on set, which is my buddy, Mike Thompson, my brother, my best man. We both like simultaneously played Paradise City and traded drum fills. And it was just like, that was a career high for music thus far. Uh career low for music uh i would say geez i don't know there's there was count there's been countless times where you just sell a ton of tickets people don't show up to the gig and you're playing to an empty audience and then you got to drive home uh you know uh and make it to work by 8 a.m the next day i don't know i don't know what a career low is i mean ultimately i've always had fun playing music but i don't know there was there was definitely some of those gigs and that's just something you gotta uh be willing to uh choke down if you're a musician i feel like like you know everybody goes through that stuff uh so then a career high for for the cinematography stuff let me think about that um you know definitely the helicopter stuff was really cool there was there was a a time where i was working with the national guard it was through a helicopter magazine um we were doing a story on the national guard and I got to go up in um, Black Hawk helicopters and hang out of those and um, do air-to-air videography, meaning you know you're in a helicopter shooting another helicopter. 
And the helicopters that we were shooting were Apaches firing off Hellfire missiles at targets. Uh, and we were shooting slow motion videos of that, which was really neat. Um, That's amazing. So That's that like, cool. like everybody's fantasy of just blowing shit up and getting it on video. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's just like, no, that was definitely a moment where it was like, nobody on earth can, re- well, I can't say this, but but for the most part, nobody can pay to have this experience. Right. You can only get paid to have this experience. Totally. And that was definitely a career high. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but that, you know, that was a while ago. I'm trying to think of more recent stuff that was super cool. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of cool shit coming up too. Like I'm, I'm waiting to hear back on a gig coming up this year where I'm going to be like on a yacht going through Croatia for a week and I get to bring my wife and I'm going to be doing nothing but content creation out there, which is insane. Love it. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. That could be another career high, but we'll, we'll wait and see. I love it. Yeah. To this point, have you had any career lows now that you are in business for yourself? You have all this equipment, you do all these jobs. Has there ever mm. been a moment in the recent history where you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful at this point, but, uh, you know, I, I would say, and this isn't really a career low, but every once in a while you give a freebie out to somebody and it takes way longer than you anticipate. And you're like, dude, like this is like cutting into like my other work that actually makes me money. Like this isn't good. But, um, so that happens sometimes. I'm trying to think it, uh, well, you know, what some of my clients, like I have clients that are, uh, you know, dentists and having to like sit there and like edit surgery videos. That's kind of a career low. <laughs> You're just like, this is disgusting. Like, I could feel the pain I while I'm cutting this. I, I was oh, going to say, I don't man. know that that's a career low. I just um, think that's the career, um, you know, that's the moments that you go like, this is draining because it's not necessarily creative in a way that your yeah. brain works, you know? <laughs> but you know what? Let me let me talk about that for a second. I think this is something that's super important that anybody that want, wants to work in the creative field, especially in the video production field, because you know, I can, I have some experience here. It is so important that you surround yourself with not only creative jobs that are fulfilling, that maybe don't pay the most, but are fulfilling and also surround yourself with jobs that are very task oriented, that take zero creativity because there is nothing that feels better than knocking something out of the park creatively. There is nothing that feels work than having to be forced to be creative and putting out something that sucks. Right. Right. So it's good to have both. Like it's good to have the stuff that like, that like, you know, uh, some, sometimes you were just creatively freaking drained and you just like wish that you had a normal job, or at least that's how I feel. And, and I do sometimes I do these things that are like very systematic within my business. And it's like, yeah, there's not much creativity there, but thank God, like I don't have the energy today to do that. But then it totally makes up for it when I get like a fun music video with you or any further West stuff, or even, doing the creative conversion stuff, like all that stuff is very rewarding. So I think it, they kind of go hand in hand in hand, in the video production realm, like you got to have both. Well, and I like that too, because there's a balance there as well, right? So yeah. that you're always yeah. keeping one cylinder, you know, refueling while the other cylinder's working. And then you can let your mind shut off on a creative level for this entity, but then be refired up and reinvigorated over here because it's had time to just do something mundane, you know? Yeah. I like yeah, that. it's it's kind of like it's kind of like 
it rests the creative part of your brain and allows you to come back stronger in a way. Yeah. You know, it makes you hungry. What would you say at this point is your definition of success? And has that word changed in its meaning for you over time? Absolutely. I mean, success is a metric, right? It, it's a metric. Uh, it's just a way we measure, you know, uh, how, how good you feel about your life is, I guess. And, and, you know, I remember when I was in the early days working at the TV stations, you know, uh, I watched some stupid, like self-help documentary, I forget the name of it, but it was like create a vision board. And like, you know, you like make a collage of like your dream home and like your car and, you know, your dream wife and all this stuff. And like, you know, basically put success in a collage on a board, you know, and then five years later you have it, but you're still like, you don't even like value it in the same way. You know what I mean? You're just like off to the next thing. You're just hungry right. and hungrier. So, um, forget what the question was, but yeah, su- success <laughs> is a metric and, and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's changed a lot for me, actually. I think, you know, now, it, now that I, I feel a lot more secure, you know, I'm married the woman of my dreams and you know i i make enough money to to live comfortably and i have all the you know the gear and the toys i could ever want you know now success to me is like being present being in the moment maybe not working so much when in the past it was success was work 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 so it just changes i love that because i think it's true i mean i i know that that's true at least in my life it it applies that way as well the goalpost yeah. always moves right when you get to where you think you're supposed to be or want to be or the where you had stri- you know, been striving to be. And now all of a sudden you're yeah. there and you're like, oh, but now I see the next horizon. So yeah. being present and appreciating the journey and being appreciative of what you're doing in your day in and day out and living in those moments in between with some comfort and enjoying that meal with your wife and sitting down and you know yeah. having time to have your kitty purr on your lap and, and like enjoy right. a beautiful sunset is just equally as successful as going. And I knocked out three jobs this week. Totally. You hear it all the time. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, I see these like rock stars that are like, you know, when I was younger, the success would mean playing in front of, in front of 30,000 people, these rock stars that are playing in front of 30,000 people. They're like, I can't wait to go home and like work on my deck in my garden <laughs> yeah. and, and like make a meal with my wife and watch TV. Like it's so crazy, right? How it all flip flops. Totally. <laughs> but that that's the beauty and the fun of the journey. That's why we like to talk about it. That's why you like to discuss how everybody got to be who they are and the ever growing and changing process of figuring out who you are next. Where yeah, totally. should our listeners find you? Where should they be looking you up if they need your video services? Where if if somebody's listening right now and they want to put you in a yacht somewhere in on the Amalfi Coast for a job, <laughs> where should they find you? Yeah, so actually my uh, website's just getting updated right now. It is Enlightening Media. That is E N and then the word lightning like lightning bolt. Enlighteningmedia.com. Uh, that's where you can find everything about me, all of my work. Uh, ton of info there, all the contact stuff you'd ever need. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how you can get a hold of me there. If you want to check out, uh, any of my music stuff, uh, go onto any of the, you know, music apps, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. And the band is storm of perception. <laughs> I there love you that go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And I like your music videos. I will also say as a last note to anybody listening, um, if you need a rent, a good uncle, 
Stevie Thunder is the guy you want to be around your child because all children seem to have so much fun around him. Mine certainly does. So, and he's a great little mentor to young aspiring cameramen like my son. So you guys have Thundy Pants Productions. That's right. That's the next venture. That's, (laughs) that's, that's success in my mind. Thundy Pants. Once we reach that goal, it'll be successful. Thank you for being my guest, Stevie. I see yeah, you all the time, so fun. I know I'll see you again very soon. Um, I think we probably have work tomorrow together, but I am uh, super glad yeah. you were my guest. It's fun to sit and talk to you about your life. Heck yeah. You've lots right. of goodness awesome. to share. Absolutely. Great hanging out, Candace. Don't forget to get me a headshot and a bio. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> and I will also edit out all the parts that I don't like of this podcast. As you will <laughs> not, sir. You are meant to be your authentic self. This is the problem with interviewing your friends who have power. Okay. (laughs) I will talk to you soon. Adios. All right, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by the Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time. And let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all-organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. To get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming, your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.